Uh, please stand with me and open in your copy of God's Word to Luke chapter 18. Luke 18, verse 9. And I'll be reading to verse 14. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray one a Pharisee, and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You may be seated. Let's pray. Almighty God and Father, you are holy, and as we come before your word, would you grant us humility? Would you open our hearts, and by your Holy Spirit, grant us understanding, help us to receive your truth joyfully. Father, we do pray that you would help us to love Christ with all of our being that you would show us his beauty, that we might be devoted to him and then imitate his life and trust him more. In his name we pray, amen. Many of you probably know this because I love to talk about it, but I'm from Michigan. My wife and I are from Michigan. And one of the things we loved to do back home was take a walk Um, during the fall season. That's our favorite time of year. And sometimes we would go walk on a trail. And on these trails, you you see these big, beautiful trees. And their leaves are beautiful, right? They're red, they're yellow, they're orange. They're beautiful on the outside. And yet, what you might not know is that many of these trees are rotten, They are rotting from the inside out in their trunks. Um, Maple trees tend to have this rot in their trunks, oak trees as well. And I bring this up because Jesus, in our parable here, he speaks to those who also look good on the outside, but they are rotten on the inside with pride. We read in verse 9, they trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And so this parable paints for us a picture 
of what God's kingdom is like and the character those in his kingdom ought to have. And it comes to us from two prayers. We're given the prayer of the ideal religious person at the time, a Pharisee, someone who in the mind of a Jew, they would be very close to God. And then we're given the prayer of a tax collector, someone whom everyone knew was far from God. They were too far from grace. And our main point in this parable is that the one who justifies himself to God will not be justified by God. In fact, God justifies the one who will not justify himself. And so our first point here is the place of prayer. Look at me. Look at verse 10, the temple. Two men went up to the temple to pray. Now, the temple was a very important place for Israel. It was a special place. They, the Old Covenant people went there to worship, to offer their sacrifices to their God. They offered up prayers to God there. It was their worship center. And the temple was God-oriented, God-centered. You went to the temple to look away from yourself, to look to God's provision for forgiveness of sin. And because God's presence was there, the place was holy. The temple was a holy, holy, holy place that demanded a proper attitude and a proper posture when one comes into the temple. This holy presence of God demanded humility. Remember Moses in the burning bush incident in Exodus 3? God speaks to him out of the burning bush and he says, take off your sandals. You are on holy ground. And what does Moses do? He takes off his sandals to express his humility in the presence of a holy God. Now, the Pharisee, he of all people should have known this, right? But instead, what do we find? We find this Pharisee in the holy presence of God with a prideful heart. And we see that in verse 11. Note his physical posture. He's standing by himself. Now, there were times when standing was allowed while praying in the temple, There are even points in our liturgy where we stand to pray. And so the issue is not his physical posture, but his spiritual posture toward God. And Jesus wants us to look beyond these actions themselves to the intention behind them. These intentions really come out in the content of his prayer. As we see in verse 11, we read, God, I thank you that I am not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Now, on the surface, this looks like a decent prayer. He gives thanks to God. There appears to be gratitude in his heart. And it was probably a true prayer. The Pharisees really were not like other people. They were popular religious leaders. They, they believed in the resurrection. They were devoted on the outside to God's law, zealous for obedience. And yet in reality, this Pharisee's prayer is filled with legalism. He makes his own laws to follow. He says he fasts twice a week. Well, the law only required one fast around the Day of Atonement. He says he tithes on everything he had. Well, the law only required farmers to tithe on their crops, not not those who bought the crops themselves. 
And so he goes above and beyond what God's law requires and then has the nerve to condemn other people for not following his own self-made standard of religion. And historically, this is what the Pharisees had done. They added to God's law, and this was a major point of contention in Jesus' ministry, to the point he calls them whitewashed tombs. On the outside, they clean up nice, but on the inside, they're rotten. Their religion is worthless. This Pharisee, he, he brags about a negative and a positive righteousness. Negatively, he says, I'm not like these other people. And then he lines up the worst people in society and then tries to measure himself up to them. And then he comes out and says, well, I'm pretty good. I'm not like them. I'm not like extortioners, the unjust. And then positively, he says, look at all these good things I'm doing for you, Lord. I fast, I tithe. And so you put these two things together And he expects God to tell him, good job, doesn't he? He expects justification because of what he is doing or what he has not done. He mentions God in the beginning of his prayer. On the surface, he appears pious. But notice how all the verbs that follow are in the first person singular. He says, God, I thank you. I am not not like other men. I fast twice. A week. Now, do you ever find yourself praying like this or even thinking in this way? Thank you, Father, that I am not like that family. Thank you, Father, that I don't struggle with that sin anymore like they do. It really is a struggle, even as Christians, right? This Pharisee, he believes he does not need anything from God. He thinks he has everything under control, and that is what makes him better than other people. And so he makes no requests of God. And we're left wondering, why did he even come to the temple in the first place? It could not have been to pray. Could this really be called a prayer? No, he came to promote himself. And this is not too different from social media culture today. You have people who take pictures of themselves or videos doing good works on the outside. And yet how easy is it for these good works or acts of humility to come from a heart of pride? Now compare this with the other character in our parable, the tax collector. He checked his pride at the door, as it were. He left his money behind, his status behind, and he offers nothing to God but a plea for mercy, a plea for mercy. In verse 13, we read, but the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Know his physical posture. He's standing far off. Now, both are standing, but the intention behind their actions is key. The Pharisee stands and is puffed up with pride. And Jesus calls people like that out in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. 
And so his physical posture represents his spiritual posture toward God. And yet this tax collector, what do we find? He feels unworthy to even stand in God's presence. He, he's standing far off. He's not looking to be noticed. This is like Israel in Exodus chapter 19. Remember, they're at the foot of Mount Sinai, and they're standing far off. God is speaking to them from the mountain. There's thunder, there's lightning, they're afraid, they're trembling in the presence of a holy God. They realized in that moment that there's a certain mindset you ought to have when you're in the presence of God. And pride is the opposite of that mindset. This tax collector, he doesn't even lift his eyes and he continually beats his chest. These are both signs of grief over his sin. And as you notice, he actually makes a request of God. It's a very short prayer, isn't it? He says, God, be merciful to me. He's not the subject of his prayer. Rather, he wants to be the object of divine mercy. He knows that he's needy. He's in need of God's mercy. He acknowledges his guilt. When he says, God, be merciful to me, this word here means, God, atone for my sin. Provide a sacrifice for me that will turn away your wrath. Turn it into favor. Have mercy on me, oh God. Remember David's cry after he committed adultery with Bathsheba in Psalm 51? Have mercy on me, oh God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. This tax collector is not worried about what other people have done. He knows that his sin is first and foremost between him and between his God. He's not worried about other people's sin. His own plagues him the most. He's like Paul. He says, wretched man that I am, I am the chief of all sinners. He's not comparing himself to other people like the Pharisee. But rather, he shows signs of a humble heart, one who's broken over his sin. And this brokenness can only come from a self-awareness of who he is in relation to God this self-knowledge that he has, that in the presence of this holy God, he is not holy, that he has nothing to offer this God, no righteousness before him, none that could come from the inside, at least. His righteousness is filthy rags before God. And so God, he knows that God's not going to compare him to other people, to the other sinners of the world. Rather, God is going to compare him and he's going to compare you and me to himself, to his holy law, which you and I have broken. Now, what is Jesus trying to tell us here in this parable? Well, he's trying to show us what his kingdom is like, who is really righteous in the kingdom of God. And he's reversing our expectations about who is righteous. This religious person who Externally, it may have looked like he did all the right things. He, he did not end up righteous in the eyes of God. And so we learn that righteousness in the kingdom is more than a ritual. Now, there's nothing wrong with rituals in themselves. We love litur liturgy as well. The externals of religion are important. 
It was a good thing that the Pharisee went to the temple. And yet, just as important as going through the religious ritual is one's heart when going through the externals of religion. Don't, we cannot come to church and go through the motions and leave a humble heart at home, as it were. Don't think you're justified because of what you do. Because God does not need our religious activity. And so today, God really wants you to think about what exactly are you trusting in? What are you trusting in today? If God were to ask you, why should he let you into his kingdom? What would, what would you tell him? This man whom everyone looked down upon, no one thought a tax collector could be included into the kingdom of God. In fact, tax collectors were Jewish people who betrayed their own people, and then they turned around and made money off the backs of their own people. Tax collectors were hated. And yet this is a man Christ tells us is justified. And so it's important for us to see why is he justified? Why does God declare him righteous? Well, he's justified because he did not justify himself to God. He humbled himself. He cried out for mercy, and he went home justified. And so we also learn the kingdom of God is quite inclusive, not in the way that the world is inclusive. The world says you don't have to change who you are. You don't have to repent. There's no confession of sin. We'll welcome you as you are. But in God's kingdom, it is the humble who receive mercy. Any and everyone who humbly comes to God in faith, who desires mercy, they will receive mercy. And in Jesus' day, it was the tax collector. But think about who those people might be in our day. Those people whom you might think are too far from saving. Maybe you think that's you today. There's sin in your past that keeps on creeping up in your head. You can't seem to get rid of it. You're still struggling with it. But God wants you to know today that there is more mercy in Christ than there is sin in you. God will justify you if you acknowledge your sin and misery and come to him in faith. And so on the one hand, the kingdom is in inclusive, but on the other, it is exclusive because it blocks out the prideful. Those who puff themselves out, puff themselves up with pride, they don't fit into the doors of the kingdom. They're shut out. It also blocks out those who compare their own righteousness to other people as a way to puff themselves up, prop themselves up. No, we must all realize that we fall short of God's glory, and we all together are in need of his mercy. And when we understand that, the proper response will be humility. And we as those already in the kingdom of God, we above all should be clothed with humility because we know who we were before Christ, before we came to him. When we ran right toward our sin, we wanted nothing to do with Christ. We loved our sin. And yet even now, after we've come to know Christ, there are times when sin keeps coming back and we're fighting and we're struggling. So we of all people, we should be a humble people. We have no reason to look down on other people who struggle with sin. And we're, we as God's people, we're still tempted to 
trust in our own goodness, aren't we? We're tempted to look down on others. We can say things or think things like, well, they don't hold to our confession. They don't sing the hymns that we do. Real Christians do what we do, so we're better than them. But the same grace that saved you can save someone else. The same mercy that saved you can save someone else. And so Jesus calls you to abandon your own righteousness altogether, because if we're honest, it's not that impressive. Sin taints all of our good works. And so the believer and the unbeliever need this righteousness that comes from the outside, an alien righteousness, not from the inside. We must look to that righteousness of Christ, the humble one. Christ was in no need of mercy, but in the greatest act of humility, he took on our human nature. He took a lowly form, and then he dies on the cross as our atoning sacrifice. And that's what the tax collector was looking for in the temple. He was looking for a sacrifice to turn away God's wrath and turn it into favor. Well, Jesus Christ is that sacrifice for him. And he's that sacrifice for you and for me, isn't he? We, the tax collector's prayer should be our prayer. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Atone for my sin. Look favorably upon me. And Christ is not only a dead Savior, a crucified Savior, but he also is a risen Savior. Right? He rose on the third day. He ascended into heaven and is seated at his Father's right hand, exalted in glory. And by faith, we too are united to him in glory. This really fulfills verse 14, that the humble will be exalted. Christ, in his state of humiliation, humbled himself, and then he finished his work, and God highly exalted him. Now, we as believers, we humble in union to him, humble ourselves now for the glory that awaits us. In Christ, we really do have hope, hope for the world, because we've come to a humble king, a humble savior, knowing one day we will, we will be exalted with him in glory. And yet there's also a strong warning for those who do not humble themselves right now, who puff themselves up, who exalt themselves right now. You will be humbled by the Lord Jesus Christ. You might not experience that right now, but it's coming. That day is coming. In this world or the next, you will be humbled. So then why wait? Come to Christ while the doors are wide open. Don't be that prideful person who is shut out. Don't be like those big, beautiful trees, beautiful colors on the outside, but on the inside, they are rotten. Come to Christ for a new heart, and he will give it to you, a humble heart. Let's pray. Father, we know that we are sinners, and there are so many times we do not acknowledge it. There are times when we are comfortable with our sin, when we do not fight it. And yet we do pray that you would teach us how 
to confess our sin to you? Would you convict us by your holy law and then comfort us by the grace of our wonderful Savior, knowing that he is that atoning sacrifice for us, that when you look at us, you see him. And right now we may be humbled and lowly, but one day we will look glorious. We will be transformed to look just like our Savior forever and ever. And so by your Holy Spirit, help us to walk in newness of life right now. Give us humble hearts, for only you can do this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.